Time's not down, you're not coming in. Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. And you played at the Hacienda. Um, we've heard endlessly about how amazing that club was, but mm. at the risk of sounding like Adrian Durham on Talk Sport, was it all that? Well, yeah. I mean, again, weekend-wise, I had no part of any of it, to be honest. Um, that was very much a Mike Pickering. I think Graham Park used to be part of it now and again and things like that. And lots of other DJs, obviously. But it was, they had their own little scene thing at the weekend. And it was it was quite different. Although they were playing what I would be playing. But it was a very different scene to what I did. I, what, what I was doing um, various nights there <clears throat> when Run DMC were on or Mantronics and people like that and that they needed, you know, a, like a guest DJ with a bit of a name um, in between, you know, some of the acts, you know, and they were fantastic nights, you know, they'd be all trouble funk and full force. And so it was, it was quite a hip hoppy, funky sort of stuff, really. And, you know, I'd play some house and whatever, but yeah, it wasn't, their weekends were quite different to, to what I was okay. doing. Um well, you ended up playing places in, on the weekends, which were, you know, your early Fantasia events, mm. Amnesia House, those kind of things. What were they like for you in terms of the, the general excitement among ravers and the music scene and, and, and the atmosphere? Yeah, they were just, excuse me, um, <clears throat> like you say, the excitement, that is a perfect word. Um, because not, it, it was, the atmosphere was just, unbelievable and you just don't get that much today at all because this is what it was like it was everything was new everything you know you the, the ravers there was no you know it didn't matter how you danced no matter how you look really just whatever and you just did what you wanted to do i just love that and i was like whoa this is amazing and then the atmosphere from that was incredible um, and the other side that I loved is that all the music was new. You know, it was this was new and really exciting music. You know, from from 1990 and then into 91 and then 92, it was really getting on. And um, the musically, um, again, it was very British music. You know, lots of DJs making the music, and and, and I, you just couldn't help but think. This is amazing. I didn't. I wish I'd have, you know, go back and realised that you were part of something that was massive and going to be even bigger and all this sort of thing. I just turned up and DJed and, and really enjoyed myself, you know. So that was that was it. Everything was excited. The ravers were excited to be there. I was excited to be there in front of them and play music to make them excited. You know what I mean? It just went on like that. And even. You know, back then, there's so many places to go and DJ at. Um, I'd be in the car, 
on the way home absolutely buzzing, you know, with tunes in my head that I'd played, you know, lots of riffs and bass lines in I'm just driving out, not playing any music in, you know, I thought I've had six hours of this blasting. I'm just driving over no no music on, but it's all in the end going. Wow. Yeah, like it. oh, it's just unbelievable times, really were. Really yeah. Did that, was it commercialism that made that change? You said it did change late, later on. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it did, you know, as time went on, there's only so much of, uh, to any for anything to be that big, you know, I suppose, you know, people behind the scene were probably being very commercial anyway, but, but you know, it wasn't seen. You know, it wasn't seeming like anything you were being ripped off uh, or anything like that at the time. It was just excitement, you know. But um, but yeah, I think as time goes on, it, I suppose it wears a bit thin, you know. And I think you need the music to to keep that going, really. You know, yeah. there's a well, lot of different genres and things, so that kind of changed it a bit, maybe. Well, talk, talking about different genres, I read another interview where you said in your early days on the rave circuit that Quest in Wolverhampton was a particular favourite, largely because of the black audience and also it yeah. gave you a chance to play some more of the breakbeat stuff. Did you ever consider, like, given that you were well into black music as a youngster growing up, um, did you ever consider maybe going more down that route of of, of jungle, breakbeat and drum and bass? And, and, and why didn't you? Uh, because I like too many styles, you know, at the same time. I could never specialise. I'd hate, you know, I could never do it. I could never specialise in in just the, the one thing. I'm thinking, so I'll play a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of what, you know, it just, I, no, I just couldn't do it. Just it, it could only be for that reason, really, you know, that to play, you know, I love when... I don't know, Green Rider had come on and before me and played whatever, and I go, oh, yeah, brilliant. But to be honest, a whole night of it, um, after a while, I think, well, I'll sponsor something else now, you know what I mean? But I'd, I'd play my breakbeat hardcore of that of that time, and if it was Quest, I'd try and dig out the ones that had extra bass in it because their sound system was just unbelievable, windows rattling everywhere. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just... Amazing. But yeah, I would never, I couldn't go down. Yes, I loved all that. I love all that. But I love other things as well. House music, everything, you know. So you've managed to do that really, haven't you, for your career? You still play a whole host of different things. That yeah. sort, of, sort of stands you out really as a bit of a, you know, on your own really. Maybe. I don't know. I'm sure there are others doing it. I'm not, I don't know really. Um, but yeah, I've, you, you do get sort of pigeonholed saying, oh, you're a hardcore DJ. Well, no, a DJ plays hardcore. And I got it in the hip-hop days, you know. So, oh, he used to be a hip-hop DJ, but then he went and played house. And I'm well, no, I was playing house, hip-hop, so everything. So I played everything. I've never been a certain DJ, but some people, you know, might just go, oh, I prefer it when you're a hardcore DJ. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, I've always, you know, we, we have... Uh, Kinetic in Stoke was an amazing Friday night, you know, mad hardcore night there. Uh, all the DJs in that, you know, uh, style would be playing. And that was an unbelievable place, you know. So I would be playing my, you know, sort of more banging hardcore there. And then off from there, I'd go down to do a pandemonium night in Birmingham. And it'd be all breakbeats and bass lines and everything, you know, then go down to the sanctuary, you know, in Milton Keynes for the final gig. And 
again, it'd be more breakbeats and whatever, but you're a little bit more south, so you change it slightly, and that's your night done, you know. But if I was stuck in one thing, I would have been very so there was So there was a, um, a definite change. You would be guided by where you played in terms of what you played. Yeah, it's all down to your audience, no matter where, really. Um, yeah, um, you, you do notice... Uh, Birmingham did like their breakbeats and bass. Um, so you make sure you play it, you know, because the crowd, that's what the crowd want. And, you know, if that's something, that is something I play. So you would, you know, yeah, you would, you play to your audience. That's, that's all the DJ should be doing really anyway. Um, but you wouldn't play that up in Kinetic because they're going, no, oh, we want it more, you know, full on, you know, and it's just different. So, yeah. Did you find that hard to navigate when the and we'll talk about more about the split a bit later on but did you find that hard to navigate when the rave scene split I mean it was coming for some time so you must have seen it happening but you're sort of playing all all the different types of music across all the different you know in the different areas was that because we've spoken to people in the past and they've said I had to choose it was impossible to not choose but you don't appear necessarily to have chosen I well, suppose you don't do drum and bass and uh, so you did choose you know, sport of. yeah yeah I, I mean to be honest there's no I mean certain clubs you know like now not so much then but now and again um I would do they would ask me to do can you do some like you know throw in some drum and bass which I will um in a sort of old breakbeat hardcore set, I love to throw in a good 20, 25 minutes of drum and bass, you know, and then come out and carry on with the breakbeats. But back then, there was people who probably just do it better than me anyway, you know what I mean? I'd be like Mickey Finn, Groove Rider, and whoever, whoever, whoever you know, Jumping Jack Frost, who you, you just think, well, they do it. They, they don't, you don't need me doing that, you know, to try and do a whole set and whatever, you know. But so I just left them, them to do it. You know, like I say, they'd be better than me anyway. So okay. <laughs> uh, well, as we're talking about all the different areas in the country, I want to continue to follow this path because it is it is interesting and it's something that we try to reflect um, on this podcast. Um, you've stated before that you rarely got gigs in the south. Um, maybe, well, in the was, Midland, maybe in the Midlands mm, and, 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 and and north of the Midlands. So what, why yeah. do you think? Why do you think that was? And 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 is that a regret of yours at all? No, I never. I, I don't regret it. But um, I, I, there was plenty of times where, yeah, the, I was down in the south, Brighton, and it take a million hours to get to um, <laughs> for one hour. You know, you do an hour set, of, you know, six or seven hours to get to Brighton, then do an hour, and it's right through, and then it's all the way back again. But yeah, there was. I, I just. Um, and that was at that time the promoters would just keep their the DJs fairly local to them because uh, obviously you'd want a few extra quid for driving all that way. Um, they go, oh, such and such, only does it for this. And I go, well, he, he lives two miles away, you know. What I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, it, there was a bit of that going on, you know. So, but yeah, there was plenty of times, but uh, to, to play in the, in the south, but it was more. Obviously, um, yeah, the Midlands upwards, really. That was well, you, uh, the you did mention. You did mention the sanctuary. <coughs> you, you 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 played a bit, but a lot of people have been pointing out you didn't play that many sanctuary events. You know, the, uh, the particularly the you know the Skelters know. and the Dreamscapes. They'd, at some point, like, they don't remember you booked for for either of those. I can't remember. Um, I mean, at the sanctuary, 
I can't remember the the actual organisations that put me on there, but there was uh, yeah, there was quite a few, quite a few. I remember uh, Mickey Linus, R.I.P. He was he booked me quite a few times in there. Um, I'm sure there was a Dreamscape night, um, Helter Skelter, possibly. I know it was, there was one uh, flyer with my name on it, but I don't. I don't know if it'll actually play. Well, you, you, uh, but I, I saw I saw a flyer from '92 in Telford, and a really early Helter Skelter that you played. But uh, I yeah, think beyond, yeah. beyond that, it doesn't. It, uh, we couldn't find any evidence of you, you of you having played for them. There was a yeah. I'd, I'd seen to yeah. Now you mention it, maybe yeah. It wasn't on loads of their events for some reason. I've no idea why. Um, it never over bothered me that sort of thing. It's up to them who. Uh, he wants to book me. I still feel that to this day. You know, I, mean, it's, I don't I never moan about it. But, well, Darren you know. Johnson, uh, he left a comment on our Facebook page. Asked when we ask for questions, and by the way, if if you want to ever ask any of our future guests any questions, we always announce them before we do them, and then we ask for questions. So get on our social media accounts. But Darren Johnson says on Facebook, "Stu's a legend. I got to know him when I won the UK scene DJing competition in the noughties, and he played a mix on his uh, on his radio show. I only got to know of him when I moved to the Midlands. He didn't seem to feature down south." With this in mind, is there a southern rave that he would have loved to have played, but didn't? Uh, I don't know. Um, is the honest answer because you don't really get to hear. I suppose there's always something going on. There's they, there was some of them were in, um, you know, like Finsbury Park and those sorts of things. Although I've, I have done the odd one of those, but what? But going back to the sort of early nineties era, yeah, I suppose it would have been. Would have been nice to do those sort of stuff, you know. In the, a big park event would have been mm. quite nice, but it never over bothered me not being on them. If you see it to me, I didn't. I didn't feel left out or anything because there was so much stuff going on, you know, Donington Park and Fantasia and Pandemonium, and you know, what I mean? it just it was just unreal back then. So, yeah, I never thought, Mister, mm, no, never, never felt like that. <laughs> No. Well, of all of, of all of the uh, promoters that you've paid for, who has been your favourite and why? Um, it's very difficult to pick because you pick one and then the other one goes, well, I thought we were all right. And I said, yeah, you were. But no, I, I think I'll just stick with my favourite sort of thing would be uh, the Eclipse in Coventry, although they did their own nights as well as and uh, Amnesia House doing nights there, and loads of people actually uh, use the venue for the, that's a lot of them starting to promote there. So I'll, I'll just, if there's going to be a favourite, I'll go for the Eclipse in Coventry as a venue, promotion, experience, uh, and the way it's helped me without a doubt, you know, from 1990, it was, it was DJing there, like I probably said earlier. Um, and if it wasn't, I don't. I think if it wasn't for playing there quite regular as well, it was there at least twice a month sometimes. And um, you know, from that, other promoters see and hear and watch the reaction when I'm on, and then book me from that. You know, and it just exploded from there really. So that will always have a. A place in my heart, definitely, was the Eclipse in Coventry. Okay, well, we uh, less favourably. We've all heard stories about dodgy promoters. Did any promoters <laughs> ever try and uh, rip you off? Oh yeah, there's, there's always you know, we've, us DJs have always had a, a little discussion about these things. That yeah, like you'd turn up and the place would be closed. 
you know, that's <laughs> as bad as that. Or there was one time I did, um, I don't know where it was, somewhere, somewhere Midlands-ish anyway, as usual. And then I, I was really struggling for time to get to the next event, which was in Hull. And, and I remember doing, um, yeah, it was like 110 down the motorway to get to Hull. Managed to get there on time and all the rest of it. You know, he broke me neck getting there. Place was ready, did a little there, got there, and the promoter just said, uh, are you not on tonight? When you know damn well you were, you know what I mean? And, it, that's, and you just say, oh, God, you know. And there's nothing you can do apart from kill him, really, you know what I mean, which I wanted to do at the time, just smash his face in. But, yeah, it, there was so, loads so what, of that so, going on. There wasn't so what, loads, to be honest. What, what, what would you do? In that situation, if someone did stitch you up or treat you poorly or whatever, is there a rule there that you're like, well, well that's it. Now, I ain't, I'm not, I'm not playing for you ever again. Yeah, there, there, there will be that for that. You know, that, that's you know, you do get or bounce checks and you know, really stupid things that you look back on. You think, well, I shouldn't have had that check or whatever, you know, or through a, an agency that should have looked after you better. Right. That you know, I was, I suppose, you know, I was a bit, I don't know naive at times even though i've been in it a long time you know that sort of thing you can you can't help you know people get ripped off in lots of ways you know buying a dodgy car or something like that you know and you, you just got to think oh well it's just how it was you know but luckily they were in the minority and promoters on on the whole were pretty good you know but you do get the bad ones yeah of course yeah. i mean that's like like all life i suppose yeah um you are known. I mean, you talk about breaking your neck to get between venues. You are known for playing as many as like eight gigs a weekend, particularly in that in that era. Uh, and then you presented the radio show every Sunday night and got yourself down to the record shop, spinning in Manchester on a you know, know to, I know to, to to collect your you know your your vinyl to play on the show. No sleep at all. You know, very little sleep. How did you manage it? It must have been just purely because. I loved it and um, needed to do it because if I didn't, you know, especially for the radio side of it, a, a radio show wouldn't have happened. Um, I just, it was just a necessity. I don't know how, you know, looking back, it must have been adrenaline possibly. Uh, I just, just got on with it. And, you know, like on a Friday. Um, so what you're saying, be... Stuart, you're saying there was no uh, help from uh, some substances. No, I know. No, I mean, everyone, you know, I'll say everyone, but you do go, oh, you must have been on something, you know, <laughs> oh, you look like you're off your head there, you know, and all that. But I can honestly, truthfully say, I've never, ever taken anything whatsoever. Really? You know, um, yeah, I don't even like, you know, we've all like a drink now and again, but that's, that's as far as, I used to smoke cigarettes up until 96, and that was my only thing well, you know it's, it's quite a common refrain actually a surprisingly common refrain among uh artists that they didn't touch anything and whether you know we're going to take them on their on their on their word and, and believe I know them. A few did, but... <laughs> well yeah maybe they're lying to me but um it's 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 interesting why did you never do anything because it, it was it's so integral in the rave scene yeah that's what yeah it is as i don't know i suppose it, it's just me being with my professional head on, I suppose. Uh, I, I do it now. I will never even have alcohol while I'm DJing um, because I've got my head's got to be straight. I've, no, I've got to know what I'm doing. And, 
you know, as, as soon as I, I, I drive everywhere, so I won't drink anyway. But <clears throat> if I'm DJing abroad, I still won't touch anything until I've finished my set. And then I'll go, right, let's go to the bar, you know, that kind of thing. But I've always got to have my head straight to do my job, really. You know, and that's the only way I can... It's just a profession. It's just a professional yeah. thing. It's just me, you know, any time. I, I would, you know, I'd, I have enough uh, sleep before the radio or, you know what I mean? All these things, I've just got to uh, to do it correctly <laughs> so I can do my job properly. But you, but you weren't getting enough sleep before the radio show. No, that, no, that's, yeah. that's the point. I was so, younger then, though. <laughs> well, that's true. Did you, did you never tire of that relentless, endless schedule? No. No, I never thought there was it at times where you would sort of go, you know, um, I've got a holiday booked in uh, October. You know, you do sort of, you know, as you're driving along or something, but not while you DJ. But yeah, you just, I just did it and um, I loved doing it. I never, at the time, just thought, yeah, I'm just, this is great. I just did it. I just got on with it. Did the gigs on a Friday night? There might be, you know, three, even four, if you know, depending. Saturday day would come along. I'd get up the next morning after literally about three hours kick, really. Um, go into Manchester, pick up my records from spinning, go home, listen to them as best as possible, see what if what good ones were in there for the Sunday night show. Uh, go through that, or even Saturday night gig. You know what I mean? So they were all brand new things. And then uh, go out, you know, all night on a Saturday night. Come home, you know, eight, nine, ten in the morning. A couple of hours kit. Prepare the Sunday show. Um, you know, pre- you know, know what I'm going to do with the uh, two mixes I used to do on the on the Sunday show, and prepare the other bits. And then letters. People used to write letters in those days, and go through all those, and uh, and then prepare a sun- and go in on a Sunday night and do. A show. It was like it was. It was pretty sort of autopilot. You know, you think right. I had a format of a show. Play these. Try and say the right things. Um, try not to talk too much bollocks. And uh, and then that's it. The end of the show. And flop. You know. And that was it. That was and gigs and everything through the week as well. It was just never ending back then. Great times to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid, 
as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. So, Stu, you are known for being incredibly versatile as a DJ, as, we, as we've covered so far in this interview. You're playing across lots of different styles, and it must mean that you've met an incredible range of famous DJs and MCs, acts, promoters, and they don't come much more famous than your old mate, Carl Cox. Um, yeah. So uh, how did you come to be so close to Carl? And obviously, he's from, he's from Oldham originally, Manchester, so that yeah. be a part of it. But Well, no, I don't you don't know that until... You get to know him really because uh, he's hardly got the accent, has he? Really, but no, we we just keep bumping into each other in the early days, <clears throat> back in well, yeah, say when nineteen ninety, really, um, similar age, uh, lots in common. He likes, you know, his his early days was, um, you know, soul and funk, which it would be because there was no house music, and he just progressed through the the rave scene as well, <clears throat> and. We just like the same music and you know when you just click with someone and having a laugh that's what we did really and we really enjoyed it and it was always amusing to do if he was on before me he would dig out tunes he knew i was going to play just to piss me off so it, you know you sort of reciprocate on the next gig and go right, i'm going to play this now no and you go you bastard you know and it was just fun you know a really good laugh and um yeah, we got on really, really well. I used to go, um, he used to live in a place called Horsham um, and I became on, came on his uh, management uh, company at the time. And so he used to have this long drive on a day off during the week on a Monday or a Tuesday or something and go down and see him there and we'd just mess about doing whatever, did a radio show on some student thing and whatever. And uh, and then if he was over my way, he he did a gig somewhere up in um, don't know where he was, sorry, t- towards Scotland or something. So it was a long drive for him, and it was on a Sunday. And uh, and I wish all we could still do these sort of things now, but we're, he's too big now and all this kind of thing. But <laughs> I, was, I was at home on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, yeah, and he, he he just phoned me up and he said. I'm, I'm in a place near Oldham now, funny enough, because that's where he was born. But he said, I'm in a place near Oldham. He said, you don't, you don't live too far away. I said, no, 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 I'm only about five miles. I told him where I lived and everything. So he drove up and they were just sitting. I mean, I, I, I'd cooked, I'd made a Sunday roast and everything, you know, ready. And just put an extra plate for Carl Cox. <laughs> you know, it was just, but he was my mate. It, it wasn't like, oh, superstar. But, you know, you it, well, even, even superstar DJs have to eat, Stu. Exactly, exactly. But it was great. You know, just little sort of stories like that I wish we could still be doing now. Do you know what I mean? It's a shame. Yeah. Well, I mean, he lives in Australia and, and yeah, he's, stuck. God, he's, yeah, he's yeah. stuck in Australia. He can't He can't move. Yeah. He can't leave. Um, yeah. what, so has fame changed him at all? Um, surprisingly not. He, he's obviously uh, able to do a lot of things he, you know, he... The, fame and trappings can allow you to do, you know, doing his extra things like motorcycles and whatever. But, um, and obviously, you know, his home and stuff. But no, as a person, he, he, it's still Carl. And what was great that he was doing, you know, he's doing these live um, 
set things, you know, Facebook lives and whatever they were. Cabin. <clears throat> and he was playing a load of stuff on vinyl from 92 era, you know, all that rave stuff from that. And he dug out one of my old tunes and mentioned me and, you know, he said, oh, here's one of Joanne's old tunes, you know, and all this kind of thing. And, yeah, you know, he's – and he knew the tunes. A lot, you know, he hasn't changed like that. You know, you could just – Oh, I'm only playing techno now, and he only knows that. But he dug out all these tunes. He probably hadn't played for a while or whatever, but he knew where to mix them in still, and uh, you know, and what to play. And that was just it was Carl back in the day on you know Wicked. in yeah. 2020. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Well, so he um, obviously famously took the decision to leave hardcore in the mid 90s. Um, what drove that? He uh, just knew, I think, that if you want to extend your career or go further, further, I think, um, as, as a lot of DJs would be, really, if you were to just stick to that one thing, that, uh, yeah, you're limited. I think, it, it, and depending on how far you want to go, you could never be, I don't think, a world-famous you know, crossing boundaries type DJ by playing happy hardcore. You know what I mean? I mean it just wouldn't. It was such a – I know there's lots of venues all over the world before everybody has a go, that, you know, that would – that do play happy hardcore and this, this, this and this. But Carl had plans. He, he was changing from around 93, really, uh, his sort of style of DJing. <clears throat> and he, was, uh, he said to me then, he said, and he was doing certain gigs for virtually nothing, just so he could play a different style of music. Because we're going, what, Carl, not playing that? No. He just went, let me do it. Just let me play this and see how it goes, wow. see how it goes. And and that's how it was. And he was doing it for much less money. Um, and uh, he just said, I remember him saying to me, he said, it might not be what they like, you know, at the moment, he says, but uh, they're going to get into it. They're going to get into it. And... Bang, you know, that was it. So, yeah. it, it, so a, a real visionary. Yeah, he he definitely, definitely knew that it, if he stuck to that thing, he just wouldn't. It would not have been the DJ he is now, without a doubt, without a doubt. He, you know, because you've seen where over the many years since, you know, how incredibly successful he is and deserves it, you know, deserves did every, you know, every did, moment. Did, could you tell that he was going to be as successful as that when he first decided to uh, to go that in di that direction? I, I don't know about how successful I knew because <laughs> who the thought? God, well, yes, yes, indeed. I mean, so world famous, you know, really unbelievable. But yeah, without a doubt, he he was kind of is you know like so it's like some pop stars or whatever. They're they're sort of destined to be very successful and. And Carl is that in DJ form, in my mind, even right back from the early days. Carl would walk in um, into a rave on the way to the DJ box and people would stop and and watch, you know what I mean? It, it's just, he's just got an aura, you know, right. and a fantastic DJ at the same time. So, Did you never, because yeah. you, you obviously talked about his departure from the scene and he was saying, look, I'm going to do this, mate. I think mm. there's probably a limited future in hardcore, so I'm going to go there. Did you never consider joining him or copying him, thinking this guy is a visionary? No. I'm going to follow follow behind and do this. Yeah, wait for me. Yeah. No, uh, no, no. I, I, it, it wasn't me because, yeah, because I still like playing the hardcore, 
Um, even though yeah, I was thinking, okay, yeah, there probably isn't that, you know. But I was playing house as well and this and this, and I still had the radio show, you know, which was hugely successful as a radio show. So, <clears throat> yeah, it wouldn't be me to sort of, right, I'm going to ditch all this and try and be a world-famous DJ, do you know what I mean? Okay. It just wouldn't, it's not me really, you know. Well while we're on the subject of uh, Carl Cox, um, Nigel Betts on Facebook has asked, like Carl Cox, you use your own name uh, for yeah. DJing at events. What was it that made you not decide to use a, a made-up DJ name like a lot of them did, for instance, DJ Vibes, DJ Seduction, the list goes on? Yeah, well, they came quite a lot later than, than me and Carl, really. You know, we're older than them. Okay. Um, and it was kind of, apart from some of the hip-hop DJs in the early 80s or whatever... You know, you know, when you come out as DJing in the early 80s, there weren't many uh, that were called, I don't know, like, no, there weren't many DJ vibes and seductions in that, in that era, do you know what I mean? So that's all it was, really. You never thought of... Some people changed their second name if they didn't think it suited a, a star sort of sounding name or whatever. But I've just been Stu Allen all my life, so... It's just me, you know what I mean? I wasn't, and I've never been a famey sort of guy anyway, really. I quite, you know, kind of shy away from a lot of it. I've never sort of, you know, jumped in people's faces and look at me, look at me, you know what I mean? I'd, so, yeah, um, Stu Allen's fine. As long as you spell it right. <laughs> Indeed. Um, who else then, apart from Carl, in terms of artists and promoters have become your close friends over the years and what qualities do they possess that make them such good friends to you not that many although um they are you know no they are friends i've just you know mind you this pandemic i haven't seen anybody close no. up for a long no time no one has no one has mate uh, you must have met some interesting characters as well during your time in the rave scene um is there anyone in particular that stands out for you they don't have to be your friends they can just be Bonkers. Oh, was loads of them. Where would we be without <laughs> them? You know, but, uh, no, God. That's a diff that's really difficult. Um, you do sort of see over the years um, certain people who follow, not follow you, follow you, but, you know, but they are at your events quite often and uh, – can look a bit strange and act a bit strange, but I love it because they're enjoying their night. You know, they they paid and gone into that night and, and thought, "Fuck everyone, I'm going to enjoy this." You know what I mean? And I love them for that. So, but they're in my mind. I can, oh yeah, I remember him before, and you know that sort of thing. But it'd be horrible to describe them further because uh, I don't. You know, I'm not going to make fun of anybody. But yeah. They are amusing to watch, some of them. I bet. And I, and I think they may be the ones that do do drugs, too, I suspect. <laughs> if they don't, then they're not a stranger for you. <laughs> well, that's sort of... They're, they're not mutually exclusive, to be honest. Um, yeah. And uh, Mike Woolley on Facebook asked the inevitable question, what's your view on MCs? Oh, God. Generally, a pain in the arse, but there are some who are absolutely fine you know they they know when to stop um and they know when to speak you know like when the singing's on don't you know there's all kinds of things but some of them are, are brilliant because they 
they can fire up an atmosphere. It's just the way the racing became, you know, as uh, MCs were on, getting the crowds going. It added to the atmosphere back then. And, and I think when you're there, you know, I get this problem. If I was to play an old set of mine from way back on the radio <clears throat> and it's got an MC on it, it does sound pretty shit on the radio, to be honest. You know, someone where well, you want to hear the tunes and all the ears over the music. So, yeah, but I'm thinking, but you should have been there. If you were there on the night, um, it depends on the MC, of course, but when it's a good MC um, and saying whatever, it works. And having said that, there's a few, uh, there was one I heard of mine a bit ago, um, and he had Robbie D on it. Um, and he was so entertaining, just listening to what he was saying, you know, absolutely mental stuff, you know. So, yeah, it, it, like I say, it depends, isn't it, really? But in, in general, they, they do get in the way. They can do. And there's too many of them, anyway, that just think they can do stuff. And so which are those favourites of yours that you were hinting at? Is it, who, who, well, Robbie really D back in the day. Yeah. yeah. You got If you go to Doncaster, it's got to be MC Nats. He is just like their local hero. Um, but a very different style as if you went down south, they'd be going, well, that's a bit different. But then you've got uh, MC Domino in the Manchester Northwest area, who's really good at uh, just getting the being, yeah, just he really reacts with the crowd. Um, and then you've got, of course, you know, your rat packs, uh, Everson, uh. Matt P and uh, Top Buzz, you know what I mean? It's all part of their act, and it's they're great. There's not a problem there. But it's just when you get some <laughs> kid, just a, get your goal on the mic, and uh, <laughs> it's a massive no. <laughs> well, have, you, have you ever unplugged? Have you ever, well, have you ever unplugged a mic? Yes, yes, I have. There was a guy, there was, well, there is, a, there is actually a video on Facebook somewhere, and I was in Blackpool, and, uh, and I was just playing some northern piano-y stuff you know and everyone's going oh yeah great and everything and he broke down to the nice piano and vocal bit and there's an there's these two mcs go and then another one's grabbing the mic off him and all over the vocal um the pianos and everything and they were even fucking booked i thought right what's well, the only thing just to start with and then realize after so yeah, uh, the, the mic was taken off and just thrown into the sea, and that's no word of a lie. It was and thrown the, in the sea. Uh, yeah, because we were on a pier, <laughs> we were on Blackpool Pier, and uh, and I thought, well, how the fuck? And they weren't even bought. They were just. I just thought they were. Sometimes you just go, oh god, fucking MCs on again. So what was the and reaction? Then, what was the reaction to you throwing the mic in the well, in the sea? They just they just had to walk off. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot you could do about it. So I just thought, just stop. And um, <laughs> unfortunately, that bit was a video, but someone was videoing. And I just, we just thought, uh, but it, is, it does pop up every now and again on Facebook, and everyone just pisses themselves. Brilliant. And and, and in terms of um, DJs, of all the many thousands of gigs <clears throat> and artists that you've shared a bill with, is there any DJ or act or set that you just love to take in before you leave and drive on to the next one, if you are indeed have time to do so? <clears throat> yeah, generally you don't, you see. Once I've done my bit, I... You know, um, I'll just let the next one get on with it. But um, there's no one. Hmm, it just depends again. But generally, I don't 
hang around too too i do for people to talk to everybody um always do that i'd always get there to a gig where this is on i'm a bit ocd really but i like to get to a gig about half an hour before i go on so i can see the crowd see how they're reacting to the dj that's on uh and obviously listen to what he's playing so i don't play the same tunes uh talk to people all these things just Mr. Profession, Mr. Boring for professional DJ. So then I'll do my bit, hang around for a little bit longer. But yeah, it depends who's on, to be honest with you. Were there any DJs that you always would be a bit nervous following because they were so good? Um, God. It did, yeah, well, not, I, I don't know about actual names, but the thing is when... If I'm to go on, that was, sometimes you, you get these little sort of festival nights going on in, there's one, it's like a 90s festival in um, Magna in, near Leeds Way, uh, Rotherham, I think it um, I'm always put in the sort of the rave, 90s rave area, you know, ra uh, um, area and stuff. And there's like Slipmat. And, uh, and last time, it was people like... Um, Oh God, they were like a speed garage guy. I know the guys. Um, one eight seven lockdown, and um, and they were there, and a completely different style to, to me. Right. You know I mean, obviously, I'm not going to play any speed garage. I just don't do that. I love it, but I don't. They were playing fantastic tunes as well, and I was like, "How the fuck do you follow that?" So there's, it's more that scenario than being nervous by a certain DJ. You know, what I mean, I, I'd never get nervous by any person it was it's just like oh god they're gonna like throw bottles of coke at me and whatever you know like but luckily it doesn't normally turn out but yeah you know when a, a style is completely different or you know yeah someone's playing like mad 190 bpm happy hardcore and i'm gonna go on and play slower hardcore you know like 170 you know that kind of thing well let's flip but, that question for our for our last question of this uh of this part is uh simon higgs on twitter asks who was your favorite dj to play after and why was there was there a dj <clears> where you you know they i don't know maybe they you you always knew that the crowd was going to be buzzing at that point so it was a great one to go on next yeah um again i don't uh i, th I think it's always nice to sort of blend from somebody i suppose somebody like uh, say Rob Tessera, you know, he's from Leeds and plays around the north. Uh, he plays a similar vibe to what I would do, I suppose, if it's that style. Um, God, I'm not very good with remembering names. Uh, well, I know who they are, but thinking of in this situation, but uh, <laughs> and, and it's really difficult, really difficult. No, I think it's if it's like. Someone with a similar vibe, you know, um, then that's always better. Because sometimes, you know, this is nothing worse than going on and the DJ isn't doing very well. You know, uh, you know, your crowd's drifting, they're getting a bit bored. And, and then you have to go on and warm up for yourself. You know what I mean? You go on at the first, you've wasted first 20 minutes by playing stuff you didn't really want to play you just got to get the crowd going first and then you can start you know so yeah i don't like doing that <laughs> even though that wasn't your question
Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard of how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now a team of five, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we can really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. UK pods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi.